Hi everyone, it's me again. Today's episode is actually a recorded interview that I did with a personal fitness trainer, Esteban Abbey, a couple months ago for a challenge that I did with some women. I did a, a challenge called Do Over. It was a 14-day challenge. It had meals and exercises and some journal prompts as well as a food journal and a bunch of things. It was really great. Um, but in this interview, we get to talk about fitness training, modifying fitness training for pregnant or postpartum women, what working with a fitness trainer or personal fitness trainer looks like, um, what that looks like in person and or uh, virtually. I worked with Esteban Abbey last year for six months. He was my personal trainer and it was a really joyous time for me personally. I needed some structure. We started working together right before the world closed. Um, so he was able to give me workouts that I could do at home because the gym was closed as well. Uh, so I hope that you enjoy this episode. It is again pre-recorded for something else uh, and that you'll be able to take away some nuggets for yourself to implement at home. Um, someone's texting me. <laughs> that way that though you may not have a personal trainer, um, you can utilize his tips when you're looking through things on your own. And if you are looking for a personal trainer, I highly, highly recommend Esteban Abbey. Um, you can find him on Instagram. I will link his information in the show notes. Welcome to Milk and Meat, a podcast about the Bible, food, and motherhood. I'm your host, Nina Marie, and I'm very excited for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope that you're able to gain added skills and tools that you need in order to take control of your health, the health of your family, to eat delicious food that nourishes you, and that you may be conformed to the image of Christ. Let's dig in. This is the interview with Esteban Abbey from Esteban Abbey Fitness, I think is his website. I'm going to link all of his contact info and where you can find him as well. Um, I just wanted to let you know, the first 20 minutes or so are some general questions that I have for him regarding fitness, exercise, etc., especially for women who have had babies, whether that is recently or years after their general questions for the first half of this audio. The second half gets into the very specific questions that you all had about your own um, situations. So you don't have to watch this. You can just listen. Um, Esteban Abbey was my personal trainer this year for the first six months. And then I took a break from personal training because we were moving and getting into a new home and stuff. Um, I do plan on working with him again in the near future. I think he is a great coach and does really well at encouraging and figuring out where your technique is off, even virtually. We don't live in the same city. Um, so I hope that you enjoy this. If you have any thoughts, questions, or need any clarification, I'm always uh, happy to help. You can DM me, email me, whatever, or you can DM or email Esteban directly. All right. Thank you, Esteban, for taking your time out this morning to do this recording and answer some questions for those in the do-over challenge. I want to start with asking about you and your training. Can you tell me what qualifications you have? Yes. Thank you for having me. I hope that people watching this uh, enjoy the interaction that we have today. Uh, I am. I have a few qualifications. I have. I'm a certified strength and conditioning specialist from the National Sports and Conditioning Association. I also have my certified personal training certification through the same organization. And then I currently hold a precision nutrition level one certification as well. So those are my cool little letters behind my name that I get to rock uh, because I put in some time, took some tests and, uh, but I think I've earned it throughout my career as well. So, yeah. Um, how long have you been in this space? Uh, if we count internships, and I'll only count one of my internships. I think it's been about eight, eight years. Um, officially after I graduated from college, I think it's been about six, maybe six or seven. Okay. That I've been able to work with people and get paid to do it um, on a consistent basis. And then how do you assess a new client? What does working with you look like in the beginning? Yeah. So 
it's I, I like to keep things straightforward, um, whether it's in person or online. We are going to work through the squat. What does your hip hinge or deadlift look like? We'll test out what your max pushups are or is in a variety of different variations. We'll take a look at your lunge. We'll take a look at overhead mobility. Uh, these are just very basic movement assessments. I'm, I, I could do or go down the rabbit hole in doing uh, specific joint assessments, but I tend not to do that. Uh, not that I can't. I just think to keep things simple and to not overwhelm an individual, we're just going to do things that they've done in the gym before and say, okay, this is where you are. Uh, this is what we're going to do to move these movements ahead and then just get you stronger, or get them to the goal that they that they want. And how do you track those fitness goals? I know for me, it's just if it's in person, it's what it, I'm assessing them every time out when we work out, uh, believe it or not. And it's easy. It's just saying, OK, you look your push up looked like this two weeks ago. This is where, what it looks like now today during this training session. Uh, so I never stop assessing throughout the time. And if someone's looking for a specific number, then we're going to keep track of that number. We're going to keep a specific eye on that uh, uh, on that exercise or on, say, an entire workout. We may keep a, a close eye on that just to say, like, hey, remember when you did this two weeks ago? You're better with your time. You're better with your reps, et cetera. Uh, so that's one easy way to do it. Uh, I just never stop assessing some people. We may do breakout stuff where we say, hey, let's test a squat today. Uh, so that, that's another way to do it. We do run specific tests uh, so that they can see where they're at, so that I can also see where they're at. Um, but I think I learned early on that you just never stop assessing because it's it's easy to keep track of things when you're always like, hey, there's progress there. Let's celebrate that. Um, there's not progress there, which makes it easy on me. And I think it's helpful for them. And how does how do you track with someone if you're working with them online and not in person? For, well, one big thing is that I upgraded my my technology. So the first thing that I was able to do when I switched over from just doing, uh, I guess, pen and paper to a, an online coaching platform called True Coach is that one thing that I can do is I can track their compliance, which is, is the biggest thing for me. Um, I do want their numbers to go up, but if they're not doing the workout and I can see it on my dashboard, uh, I can easily say, hey, no results are going to happen unless you do the workout. Uh, we'll worry about the results later, but at least I want to get you doing the workout. So that's one thing I'm able to track within the platform, too. If there is a specific exercise that they want to grow in, I can make uh, I can make that exercise a focal point in that I can say, hey, uh, within the platform, I'll say, hey, this is something that every time it comes up, uh, they need to register, register their reps mm -hmm. uh, or register their weight. And then I can see on the back end what their weight, what their reps have been over time, because we've specifically marked that that exercise to uh, to be tracked and to become a focal point of the program. And then if it if I need to, it's just pen and paper. Um, well, actually not pen and paper because we're in a technology or digital age. So using a Google form where I just say, hey, what's your weight? Uh, how are you feeling? Um, how is your sleep? And I can take all of that data over time and just put it in or Google take will take the data, put it all into a nice little little graph. Mm -hmm. And it just makes it easy for me. So it's using technology to my advantage so that Clients can see what's going on. I can see what's going on and we can see it either in real time uh, or over time. Okay. Thank you. And then how much does nutrition play a role in health and wellness or, and or postpartum weight loss? When we're sure. I, I think we continue to see the role that nutrition plays in our overall health, I think year by year. Um, I will be the individual to say like, just because you start changing things over into uh, what what would be a con considered a better diet for you doesn't mean things are going to change overnight or some things are going to just change entirely. There may be some medical interventions that you need based on your specific you know genetics, your specific health uh, health history, uh, but it can help. And I think we continue to see that um, when it comes to 
the, the role that it plays in weight loss. Uh, I know that being postpartum, women end up in a very specific space when it comes to hormones, um, probably desire to move and perhaps even getting back into what they would consider a normal eating pattern or even a normal eating palate, right? Because mm-hmm. you know that the palate changes a little bit. Uh, like anyone else, they need to, one, find a diet that they can adhere to. If they want to lose weight, there needs to be a calorie deficit. And there's many ways to do that, uh, which makes it great for individuals who are trying to do something like lose weight is that, hey, there's there's many diets for you to do it. You just need to adhere to it and it needs to be uh, a sufficient enough calorie deficit. Uh, so while I like to say postpartum women are unique that they just gave birth to a baby and that's an amazing thing. However, and there are some special things that we must consider. I know that there's different hormones at play or always at play for women. And I think there's different hormones at play postpartum. Uh, but you can't work around the concept of needing to be in a calorie deficit to lose weight. Uh, so that's how I would answer that. Okay. Thank you. Um, are there any pointless workouts or exercises? Uh, <laughs> this is a great question. <laughs> so I just, I just posted something on, on my Instagram that said, uh, there's a starting point for everyone. Uh, so the answer is no, I don't think there, there are any pointless workouts for individual. It's going to be on a case by case basis. Uh, I'll say it's pointless if you're going to go out and run every day for X amount of miles, but you want a more toned body or a more toned book. That's not going to get you there. So therefore, that is pointless. So I think within context, there are things that are better or worse for you depending on what you're trying to pursue. Personally speaking, do I think that there are pointless exercises? Yes, I do not like burpees. I could care less, but individuals enjoy them. So if they want to do it and they want to do it safely and progressively, then have at it. We can put it in your program. You can have all the fun. Uh, There are other exercises that I don't like uh, personally that I don't do, but they're good. Like the Turkish get up. I can't stand the Turkish get up. I don't like it, but I know that when it's in my program, I'm like, okay, well, I'll do it because I dread it, but it's also a mental challenge for me. So mm. short answer, no. Long answer, it depends. <laughs> uh, but I think that there are things that, that individuals should do based on their goals. Uh, else it does become that's it does become like that's worthless. It's it's not gonna be beneficial based on where you're trying to get. What's your take on cardio and its role in movement, exercise, etc.? <laughs> Cardio, I think, plays a, a good role. I think it. we see the pendulum swing every so often. I think both uh, on a, a bigger scale, but I think on an individual scale, too, where people will swing from one end to the other. Most people like to make cardio out to be just the, I guess, the godsend of fat loss. And it's not. Um, and I think the research proves that. Uh it is important though to be, it is a, an important component because it can help you in, in the most very basic sense with just overall cardiovascular health. Um, it can help with recovery from your other difficult workouts. So your other weight training sessions, your hit sessions, some low intensity cardio can help with the recovery aspects of your overall training program. Um, so to just delete it, uh, I think you'll be okay if you just got rid of it. There's other ways that you can train that specific component for quality, but I think there, it, the benefits are endless or not endless, but there are great benefits to having intentional low intensity cardio in your workout because it's going to help you recover. Uh, it's going to help you clear up your mind. And if for someone who may be trying to lose weight, it's another way to quote unquote, burn calories, even though that, that's not the only thing I'm going to look at it or use it for, but it is a, an intentional way to get up, right? And move and maintain movement because we know that when you're in a calorie deficit, you're not going to want to move as much. The body finds a way to not do as much work because you're breaking that homeostasis point. So being intentional about it can be helpful um, and can be a strategic way to help people continue to move without you know, burning out or burning themselves out because they don't have as, as much energy because they're not consuming as much, et cetera. 
when someone is working with you and they're coming from no exercise, no movement, or it's been a very long time since they've had some sort of process that they work through, what's your step one? Um, and more specifically, if it's a, it's a woman who's six months out after having a baby, what would her step one look like? Or three step years one is, Let's say three years too. Yeah, yeah sure, sure. Uh, step one is always going to be what is their current, excuse me, what is their current movement capacity? What can they do? What can they not do? Whether that's based on because they haven't fully had a restored pelvis and, and everything that's going on in that area, uh, either because they, they've just never done some type of weight training at all. So I just want to see what's their square one. Where are they starting from? Because from that point, that, that square one is how I'm going to make my decisions moving forward. If they can't do a push-up, it's going to make no sense for me to program a push-up. So every, believe it or not, all clients start for me. I would say that they have to prove to me that they can do something. Um, and I'm just looking for, for their ability. What's their current movement ability? If they have some, then great, we can challenge things. If they don't, then we won't challenge things. And we'll just build things up over time. In any case, we're starting from somewhere that, that they feel confident in that I can see they have the ability and capacity to do. And then we build up steadily over time to challenge movements, challenge certain strength capacities, power capacities, uh, cardiovascular capacities or abilities so that they can continue to move forward. Um, it's, it's really just that it really is that simple in that we don't need to throw the kitchen sink at you. We just need to meet you where you're at. And then over time, we're going to start throwing components of the kitchen sink at you so that you can adapt, develop new, new abilities, new capacities uh, for your body. So what does throwing the kitchen sink look like for a six-month postpartum mom? Throwing the kitchen sink at you would be, hey, let's do jump squats. Let's do burpees. Let's do jumping jacks, high knees. Let's do everything that's probably going to make you pee your pants or give you the feeling that you're going to have to pee a lot right or it's just gonna feel awkward like i've heard i've heard that like something sometimes it feels like something is gonna like fall out or something's just not gonna go right down there i've heard that and i'm like that sounds terrible but <laughs> or the kitchen sink at you would would literally be doing everything that would aggravate that right it's doing too much too soon and that can be from the exercise selection that can be the volume of work that you're doing that can be the intensity of work that you're doing it's like hey um you have the capacity to say if someone had the capacity to back squat or barbell back squat uh, and they're six months postpartum, but they can't control that. But here I am for telling them, hey, you should back squat 70 percent of your max weight. I don't know if that's going to go too well because they have to be able to keep things tight mm -hmm. through the midsection as they go down and as they come up. So to me, that would be throwing the kitchen seat. It's just too much too soon based on where they're currently at in their healing process um, and even in their movement ability process as well. I recently started jumping rope again. And the first day that I started jumping rope again, I had to pee within like a minute. And I'm like, I'm two <laughs> years postpartum. How is this still a thing? <laughs> so yes, I understand. Yeah. Um, yeah. Shoot, I had a question based on what you were just saying. So how, how do you direct a person um, to tighten their core? What kind of language do you use to help them understand what that looks like? Sure. And when we're performing, and I'll, I'll take some of, the, some of the things that you're using in this challenge right now. So say we'll, we'll just take a dead butt, right? Mm -hmm. um, we're not looking for 100% contraction. I wouldn't be asking an individual at any point when I'm doing specific targeted core work to say, squeeze the crap out of those bad boys, um, you know, that, that's not what we're going for. Really, when we're looking at core, specific core work, we're looking at good position of both the rib cage and of the hips. And so once we get those in position, uh, I'm, I may work them through, hey, let's find neutral, brace, and then breathe. Uh, and I think that well, when I say breathe, that kind of goes back to we're not trying to contract 100%. You should be able to, to breathe with some, with, with, I guess, a normal breath rate, obviously you're exercising, so it's not going to be that normal, uh, but you should be able to breathe as you cycle through reps. So if I were to give it a number, I would say 60, 70% of core contraction. I would move forward with that mindset. We're not trying to do 100% contraction when we're doing uh, core work. 
depending on the position that we're in, whether we're standing or or laying on the ground, that's going to change some of the, the cues that I provide. Typically, because I'm looking for the bottom of the rib cage to be directly stacked over the pelvis, the one, the two things I'm going to tell individuals to do is take a deep breath in, fill the belly up with air, fully exhale, and let the let the rib cage come down. As the rib cage comes down, think about tucking the hips just a little bit or think about tucking the tail in between your legs mm -hmm. as if you're a little puppy. And typically that gives us that nice stacked position, that good canister. And from that position is where we're going to perform most of our exercises, whether we're moving weight out in front of us, whether we're resisting rotation or whether we're just doing a basic dead bug on the ground where our back is on the ground. I want us to maintain that canister position as we move through any motions so that the core and the brain understands I need to maintain tension, stability as I perform any exercise. Look, those are my two go-to cues. Tuck the tailbone, uh, allow the rib cage to come down, and then hold that position as you perform your, your exercises. And then if, if someone's too tense, mm -hmm. I'm literally going to incorporate a breath cycle into their, um, into their into their exercise which makes it that much more brutal when someone has to hold their core position and then focus on a full inhale and full exhale okay how long when someone's working with you how long is the process for them i know that that can also be individual depending on where they're starting um mm -hmm. but like how long will a process generally take for someone to see results in, sure. in core strength, for example. Yeah, if we're if we're hitting it hard or not hard, if we're hitting it consistently at least three times a week with targeted, very focused core stuff, I wouldn't be surprised if, if people see gains within the first four weeks. Now, typically these for, these gains from the, like I think it's the four to six week mark, or perhaps even a little bit longer, depending on the individual. It's really just neural gains. So it's the brain communicating with the muscles and the rest of the body saying, okay, this is what you need to do when we perform these types of exercises. And so that alone can be helpful because we know our brain is really just telling the body what it's supposed to do. So if we can create a better line of communication between my conscious brain, conscious thoughts to the core, over time, now we know like, hey, that was targeted core work. Now when I'm doing my deadlift, this, it, it has a direct carryover. Like I should be able to, to brace either, I may have to do it consciously, but hopefully unconsciously just bracing appropriately uh, for the demand that's placed on the body. Now, if someone's really, I'll say if someone has a bit more, there's a bit more trauma that happened um, in the abdomen uh, and, and the, the lower body area, that may take longer. That may be something where I have to say, hey, I have a certain skill set. I can get you stronger to an extent. However, there are things that you came in here with that I think a professional needs to help you out with because they're going to have a bit more insight. They're going to have greater expertise on this. Uh, and they may even have you doing some of the same exercises, but because they have greater insight, greater expertise, this pelvic, uh, pelvic floor specialist is going to get you farther along than I would in, in the short term. Um, so it could be somewhere where, hey, I just got a partner with a pelvic floor specialist. Mm -hmm. They kind of take the lead on uh, what needs to happen down there so that things get back in order. And then we can come back and say, hey, let's start loading things appropriately slowly, um, test out where you've been uh, so that we can continue to move forward with things. But it's, it is individual. I would hope within the first four to six week mark, we see some gains in people's ability to control what's going on. And then over time, we can load the system to see if what we did in those first few weeks is actually staying and holding. And then we just move forward from there. Would you say that this may play a role with someone who is saying, I'm not seeing results? Um, sure. If, if they came, here's the thing. I think it, we would both need to be clear on Hey, I'm not going to clear your pelvic floor issues. Um, there's people who actually get paid to do that. 
Um, and I would think you need to go see them first. Um, and so I don't, I can't play that role. Mm-hmm. I can play the role of helping the rest of your body get stronger and hopefully that contributes to it. Mm-hmm. And we can talk a little about how what we're doing uh, positively impacts that thing, uh, the pelvic floor. However, if like, if, as I said, if there's too much trauma there, um, that that's above my pay, my pay grade. And I think I would have enough humility to say like, I, I can't help you out there um, to the extent that you need to. And so I'm, as, as we like to say, I'm okay taking that, that loss. I'm okay taking that L um, if it's in the best interest of that individual to go to someone else. So yeah, if they say I'm not seeing results um, and obviously there's a, a lot of things that can happen there. Like, mm-hmm. Hey, this could have been communicated earlier, et cetera, but that's where it's important. I know for my clients where I'm just like, just tell me everything. I don't care if you text me or shoot me a message saying like, Hey, this is not going well. We need to, fi- we need to figure this out. And it's like, and let's do it. Let's troubleshoot this process here so that you feel healthier, you get stronger and you feel that the service that you are paying for or the, the investment that you're making is re- has a return on investment. I wouldn't want someone to not have a return on investment. Okay. I have a, I have a few more specific questions that some of the women have asked. The first is, my question's about toning the abdomen safely postpartum. I know there are certain things you're supposed to avoid for pelvic floor health and diastasis recti, but I want to strengthen my belly, not pee when I laugh too hard. I've not done much other than walking or hiking since having children because I'm afraid of inflicting more harm than good. I think you kind of answered this a little bit. Yeah, I think a good place to start is uh learning that good canister position so learning the good ribs down hips tuck position so getting into that that position on a consistent basis uh and starting from the ground so i'm not talking about doing a plank even i won't even get a plank on your program if i know that you're trying to get things back in order so doing things like a dead bug doing things like wall press abs where you have contact with it your low back has contact with the ground so now you can begin to create context around what a good quote unquote neutral position is through the core and then incorporating the breath uh, I think is an important part as when you're executing a dead bug exercise or a wall press ab exercise or any other thing that's on your back it's let's incorporate the breath not just to set the abs or set the hip and core position but also to execute things right Um, making sure that as I'm reaching or extending a leg out that I'm breathing through that because that tends to be the spot where, you know, when people are exerting themselves, that's when, you know, they may, they may pee or there's just a little bit of a struggle uh, to maintain, um, to hold off those sensations, but then also hold off the, the potential of peeing as well. So it's important, I think, early on, if you've been cleared by your health professional, um, maybe you've seen a pelvic floor specialist, I'll say this. What you've learned in the pelvic floor from that pelvic floor specialist, you may need to continue doing for a while. Uh, and I would encourage people to continue to do that, you know, long after. If you're now in a position to where you can begin to load the system a bit differently, uh, I'm still going to take it slow because guess what? It, something happened down there. Like, I can't just not overlook that. Um, so it would be taking it slow, getting you on your back making sure you know that neutral embraced position uh, and then building up from there by including breath work as well uh, and just continuing to hammer home those basics because uh, the basics really never go out of style. We just, we just really make the basics harder or we just make the basics a bit easier. Can you give a little more information on what you mean by breath work? So simple breath work. Uh, I'm not a yogi, so I'm not going that deep into the breath work. For me, the breath is going to be used to either set the core, set the position of the core, or we're going to use breath to challenge the position that we end up in. So for me, a a good breath is going to be, I always tell people, think about filling the belly up with air, not shrugging the shoulders. So for me, a good breath is fill the belly up with air. Yes, there's going to be some chest expansion as well, but I don't want people to take a breath and do this. That's not a breath, that's a, that's a shrug, right? And so we wanna get a good breath into the canister, good expansion to the chest, the belly, 
the sides of the ribs and even the back of the ribs as well, or the back side. We want 360 degree of expansion when we take a breath in. And then when we exhale, we want those same spots that expanded to, I don't want to say contract, but we want them to go back down and go back into a position where they're ready to be, to be braced and move. And again, believe it or not, we'll put you in a dead bug position, get you to do the overhead move, the extended leg. And then I'll say, okay, now take a full deep breath in that position. That's the toughest position. And now you got to work through that breath cycle. Like I just described all over again. So that's the type of breath work I'm doing. Even if it's just something at the end of a workout, I'm thinking through 360 degrees of expansion, get the, get the hips, get the rib cage in order, uh, the positions that they need to be in, and then work from that position uh, through your exercise. Thank you. Uh, someone else asked about tips on how to correct muscle imbalance. Her chiropractor told her specifically her upper left back. Any exercise recommendations to help? Without knowing too much. So here's how we're going to correct muscle imbalances. Believe it or not, you can train one side more than the other to kind of get that other lagging side to come up. So that's the easiest answer. So we'll take, if it's upper back, I'm going to assume um, it's probably lats, rhomboids, things like that. So we're going to talk about rowing, right? So take any rowing variation. And specifically, there's, because there's an asymmetry between sides, we'll do a single arm rowing variation, right? Easiest way to, to make up the gap that exists. I'm going to do three sets of 12 on one side. I will do four sets of 12 on the other. Oh. But if we're going to talk about bringing up asymmetries, yes, you can train one side differently than the other because of the gap that exists, especially if it's a big gap. Don't be scared to throw in some extra reps on one side versus another. Uh, don't be scared to add an extra set. That's one of the easiest ways to do it. And then obviously you build over time, whether it's with weight, um, more weight on one side than the other. Typically it's just going to be more reps or more sets on one side uh, versus the other. That's that. I didn't think of that. That's cool. Um, I'm short on time. What's the most effective strategy or best exercise to fit into my, my busy day? How can I get the most bang for my buck? Sure. Um, I, I forgot what concept I, I, I didn't coin this or anything. Um, I'm basically, you're short on time. So we're going to say you got 10 minutes. You got 10 minutes. Here's what you're going to do. You are going to pick three to five exercises that you know how to do. I don't care what they are. It doesn't matter to me what they are. Um, they can be burpees for all I care, right? <laughs> pick three exercises, three to five exercises. Set a timer for 10 minutes and see how many times you can get through those three to five exercises in 10 minutes. So it can be as simple as that. If that seems like too much, select five exercises, perform each exercise for one minute each with one minute of rest in between each one. Boom, that's 10 minutes right there. With rest and with a lot of work. Um, it can be high intensity. It can be with weights. It can be five exercises where you're stretching. It can be five yoga based exercises. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Choose. I'm always going to tell someone, choose what you know and choose what you are confident in performing. Set a timer because you know, once 10 minutes is up, it's up. You know, you, you, you said you don't have no more time. So once 10 minutes is over, you're done and then just move on with your day. That's it's, it can be that simple, um, but I know that we can tend to overcomplicate things. Or I'll say this. I think that question also comes out of a space of, is this sufficient enough? Mm. Am I doing enough? Yes, you're doing enough for what you can do. And I always say, look, if you aren't doing anything to begin with, then anything that you do is going to be better than doing nothing, right? So if it's five, 10 minutes, Great. Just imagine you putting in 10 minutes each week when you were doing nothing before. That's 50 or 10 minutes each day for your work week. That's 50 minutes versus zero. That's that's a significant percentage increase. I don't know math, but that's a significant percentage increase from nothing. Um, and so I would encourage that same individual, whoever asked that question, 
Is it enough? Is it sufficient? Yes, it is. It is sufficient enough. And don't be too concerned about um, what exactly it is. Be more concerned about getting it done on a consistent basis. Um, next question. Do you have any encouragement or ideas for core strength, not postpartum related? This is the weakest part of my body and I hate core exercises. Sure. Um, you're probably doing traditional core exercises, so let's scrap those. Uh, we just kind of introduce you to, and I have none against those. They're, they're good. They have their time and they have their place and people enjoy them. So if people can enjoy them and they're not causing them pain, then let's do them. I would say let's, but let's move you out of those for a little bit. Let's start doing dead bugs. Let's start doing wall press abs. Let's start doing, uh, let's start doing bare position holds or bare crawls. Let's start doing things like pal-off presses uh, from a half kneeling position, a tall kneeling position, uh, a standing position. All the things, <laughs> all the things that some people just they just don't touch on, um, and that provide a different benefit. Um, the abs are just not about flexion. That's a great way to train the abs, but the the core itself, whether however people have come to define it, and in most cases from the from the kneecap all the way up to the shoulders is typically what some people would call the core. We need to find a way to get this locked down and then get joints moving around it. That, that's what we're trying to do. So we want to create stiffness here and we want to train it in, can it resist rotation? Uh, can you resist extending? Can you resist even, even flexion? Uh, we want to start training those things. I mean, here's an easy one. Go pick up, uh, next time you go out shopping, and you got one bag of groceries, hold it in one hand on the way out the store. Once you get out the store, switch it to the other hand as you walk to the car. There you go. That's a new core exercise for you. And believe it or not, it can be brutal as the more you take the weight up or the more volume. So the farther you travel with it, the tougher it's going to be when you're trying to resist side bending, extension at the same time as well, and flexion. So moving out of those more traditional things and I think getting more into uh, training the core the way that it uh, it should be trained uh, besides or aside from flexion is a good way for you to begin to move forward with that uh, on a consistent basis. How do you, I'm curious, so because as you were talking, I wonder what she means by my core is weak. How would you define a weak core? <sighs> That's, so there's there's tests you can do. You can do, a, uh, how long can you hold a plank? That, that, that's one way. I mean, but we're only kind of measuring one one part of the core, right? We're only measuring, can you maintain that neutral position without extending, right? So that's that's one thing. Uh, but then you can go a side plank. How long can you hold a side plank? Uh, now we're working on lateral flexion, right? And some level of um, um, anti-rotation as well. Those are two very easy things that you can use to measure core strength. Um, sometimes core strength can be so arbitrary and it just be like, well, I got a ton of core strength. Well, doing what? You can do a hundred crunches. Well, that's very specific. Um, you got a good core strength. I can hold a plank for a minute. One, I doubt you can do that, but that's a different story for a different day. Um, but cool. So you can do a plank for, for one minute. That, that's cool too. That's very specific um, types of core strength. So I would I would venture to say is like what what exactly do you mean? Because it can mean so many things that you're weak in the core. Does it mean that when you deadlift that your back hurts? Uh, it may not be your core. It may just be your technique. Does it mean that you know when when I squat my my back hurts? Again, it may not be your core. It just may be your technique. Yes, your core is a part of it. Uh, but maybe we just need to teach you that this is the position that you need to hold when you're performing these exercises versus saying we need to hammer home planks, dead bugs, uh, pal off presses, yada, 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 until you're, you know, until you're blue in the face. It may not be that at all. It just means more than likely in many cases when someone says their core is weak, maybe they can't hold a plank for an extended period of time. That's fine. We can train that quality. Uh, but what matters more is like, when you reach up for something, does your back hurt? That probably shouldn't be happening. When you go down and pick up the, the wastebasket or your back's hurting or your core feels weak, that, that probably shouldn't be happening. That may be more of a technique thing that you need to learn these patterns uh, more so than just go after the core exclusively to 
I guess, give you the sense and feeling of strength that you desire. Quick plug. I was reminded of all those videos you have on Instagram showing this is a bad position and this is how to fix it. So everyone go to Esteban's Instagram and look at those. I love um, that plug. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last question. Um, are there any core exercises that I can do as I prepare to get pregnant to make postpartum recovery easier? Uh, it's yeah that that that's tough it's tough i think when i've interacted with uh people either trying to get pregnant or currently pregnant and they're like i, I want to continue to move obviously after a certain point uh doing core work is going to be i'm not going to say insignificant it just becomes tougher mm -hmm. you have this belly that has literally stretched out your abs so in some sense, it's like you got no abs. So I don't really know what you're training, right? Mm -hmm. um, I would say move away from core exercises, especially you're going to have to the, the farther you move into pregnancy, number one. Most, and this is most anecdotal evidence, but I think it's, it's back. It, I'm sure it could be backed up by research too. Um, most people are recommending that you just stay active throughout your pregnancy. And that alone is helpful, uh, both during as perhaps as you're giving birth and then post as well. Right. In many cases, even though you can't do direct core work, the farther you get into pregnancy, you can most people can still live. Most people can still deadlift. Most people can still squat. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, push ups are out of order, but perhaps you can still do a bench press variation or a standing uh, standing press variation with the band. Uh, so there are still things that you can do to train the body to not only continue to feel active and strong, but are probably going to be beneficial uh, throughout the rest of your pregnancy, when you give birth, and then when you get back into it. Uh, the one thing that I'll always say is that st stuff happens when you give birth. You could go in thinking that it's going to be a natural birth and then you end up with a C-section um, or you could go in and just something happens. And I know the trauma that can happen uh, through through that area that sometimes you can't account for. I can't account for that. Right. You went into pregnant, you know, throughout the whole pregnancy, you felt strong and then things went things went well. However, the trauma that was inflicted upon your body when you when you gave birth was more than expected. Um, and we like that's that's the one thing we cannot control. And so then that affects the recovery process that affects what you where you may end up, you know, six months, a year after giving giving birth. Uh, and so. The, the biggest answer is keep lifting, keep lifting, because we know that after a point, you're not going to be able to do the right core work. But do what you can, whether it's walking. I love lifting. If you can manage to lift and lift safely and lift confidently, lift. Because I've heard enough times where people are like, birth was 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 better. I felt that like I recovered better. Um, however, the one caveat is I don't the day you give birth, I don't know how much how much trauma is going to be inflicted upon your body. Um, and that that will direct the path forward after the fact. So post pregnancy, that's going to direct things more than well, I was deadlifting uh, 135 pounds. Like I should be ready to do it again post uh, postpartum. You should, but you know when <laughs> when things got when things got ripped and things got you know there's that certain trauma that happened. We can't account for that. Like that's just that's just a part of the process. As beautiful as the process is, that's a part of the process, um, just getting you back to quote unquote normal and feeling like yourself again within your body when it comes to strength, flexibility, and any other physical capacity. She has a secondary question tied to it. Her back has been tied tight since having kids. Could this be related to a weak core or something else? It, it can. It can. Uh, again, low back stuff, It literally a catch-all. It's just, I got low back pain. 80% um, 80, 80 of people are going to have low back pain in their life whether they get pregnant or don't. Um, sometimes it's related to the core. Sometimes it's not. What uh, most, of the, most of the research that I've seen is if we get the body strong, 
the low back kind of finds its way. Um, and which is very revealing in that we probably don't need to be spending so much time on directed forward. We need to be spending more time on integrating or having a more integrative approach in that we need to get the lower body strong. We need to get the upper body strong. The core needs to do its job through both of those tasks, not just when we have directed forward. Um, sometimes what helps is also people may end up with a lack of mobility. Uh, and then therefore the low back takes on the brunt of the work. Uh, so it can be typically we'll focus on mobility through the hips. Um, but we'll, we'll tend to focus on the rest of the lower body too. Uh, uh, range of motion at the knee, range of motion at the ankles could even be it. You got low back pain. What type of shoes are you wearing? Mm-hmm. You wearing high heels all the time because that affects where we hold our position of our body and that could potentially put us in a, in a position where we're just always in an extended position, right? Um, which is kind of the, the intent of high heels. But if you're always up on your tippy toes, right? Or if we can look at the type of shoes, get out of your shoes when you work out. When you get home, get out of shoes. Like just, just get in, into your feet. Maybe it is a foot issue too, right? Maybe you don't have enough of an arch. So it, it, there's many things that could play into it. And then it just works its, its way up into the low back and now it's low, you know, low back has problems. If this person, this person may sound kind of like they're active, I would love to see your technique. Like, um, perhaps you've been lifting post, you know, postpartum and the technique doesn't look good and the low back is taking on a brunt of, uh, of the load when it shouldn't be. It should be your shoulder. It should be your, you know, your lower body, uh, or it should be just another joint that should be taken on the, the load. So final question. What's the number one thing you would recommend for anyone to begin doing if they're doing nothing? Um, be realistic. Be realistic. And I'm not talking about goals at all. I, I think we can talk people down. I think I, I can do a pretty good job of talking people down into more realistic goals. What I have uh, where the trouble comes is talking people down from their unrealistic plans. Uh, and it's difficult. It's difficult to come up. We, we love living in the ideal situation when it, and I feel like this only happens in the fitness when people talk about their fitness. Hmm. It probably doesn't, but I, because that's where I'm at. They'll come in. I'm going to work out five times a week, an hour a day. And I say, you don't even have an hour to give three days a week. So how do you expect to do it five, five days a week? And so it's being realistic, uh, divorcing ideal situations because you don't live in that ideal situation. You live in a real situation and there are actual real solutions and real strategies that you can implement that will help you be consistent enough to reap the rewards of your effort. So living in reality, and it's, it's a harsh truth, but it, for most of my clients, when I'm like, no, you're not working out five days a week. You're going to work out two, make, at most three times a week. And trust me, you'll, you'll be fine. You will make gains. Um, so divorcing ideals and getting married to what life is actually like and planning around that. Uh, because once we plan around that, then you can actually say, oh, I actually have more time to, to devote. Oh, no, I can actually do this. And then you just start picking up these wins over and over again. And it's not wins that you have to stretch for and have to reach for. They're wins that are within your wheelhouse. And you're like, oh, well, that was a bit easier than I thought. It took some effort. It's still going to take effort. It's still going to take some planning. It's still going to take some thoughtful uh, and consistent action. But it's within your wheelhouse. It's within what you can actually attain versus trying to do something for someone else based on their life versus your life. And where can anyone find you? What's your email, Instagram, website, any offers you have, all the things. And if someone wants yes. to work with you in person, where, where can they find you? Yes. So I live in Minneapolis. So I'm going to work backwards on all these. I live in Minneapolis. If you want to work with me and you live in Minneapolis, we'll have to talk and we'll have to figure it out, especially right now through COVID. <laughs> Uh, currently, I'm taking most of my clients, if not all of my clients, as virtual clients, which has worked out quite well for, for a lot of people throughout COVID. Um, 
Me too. If you want, yes, yes, exactly. Um, next plan right now, uh, if someone didn't want to work with me just one-on-one -on -one exclusively, is I'm putting together a push-up program that I that I want to walk ten people through. Uh, the hope is to have it released that first full week or to start the first full week of December. Uh, the intent there is not just to hopefully get some people to upgrade their technique, upgrade their strength, and hopefully get some people doing push-ups from the ground. Um, also, it's geared towards women uh, because I know women just want to flex with their push-ups on a consistent basis. Um, and it just typically is a spot where they're like, hey, I, I just want to get my push-ups right. And I'm like, then let's do it. So that's the intent. And there's the other intent is to, I want you to, people to go into the new year with a focus. I don't want January 1 to come around and you're like, I don't know what I want to do or you want to continue to pursue kind of that tired old goal of losing 10 pounds. No, you're going into the new year saying, I'm focused. I have a plan to get uh, either to be consistent with my workouts or I have a plan to do push-ups. So be on the lookout for that. If you want to learn more about that, you're more than welcome to email me at Esteban at EstebanAbby.com. You can find me on my socials, uh, either Facebook. You can look up my name, Esteban Abbey. I'm on there. Uh, on Instagram, it's Esteban.Abbey. Uh, you can follow me. It's not a private account. Comment on all my stuff, like all my stuff, whatever. You can slide in my DM, my answer questions. Share it all. Uh, but those are, yeah, those are all the ways you can connect with me. If you want to work out with me one-on-one, -on -one, uh, either shoot me an email uh, shoot me a DM and we can begin the process of talking through if it's going to be a good fit, how I could potentially help you, uh, and where it would be good to just learn where you want to go. Um, and the first talk, there's no price for that. I'll give you 30, 30 minutes of my time to at least figure things out and get you moving in the right direction. Cool. Thank you, Esteban.